Well, Father, how good it is to hear what you've been doing in people's lives and how your grace has saved us and it sustains us, it convicts us, teaches us. Thank you for this time of instruction from your word. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be careful to be hearers and doers and not just hearers. Thank you for our Bibles. Thank you for the power and the authority of the Word of God. And I just pray that you'll use this time now to challenge us and and to motivate us in our Christian walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you need to know uh, that our church is getting ready to go on a journey. And like so many journeys, especially big trips, maybe a big trip to Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon from here, Uh, What are you going to do? You're going to get your maps out, you're going to get online, you're going to check out information, and you're going to do a little bit of research, and you're going to just kind of plan out an overview of the trip. And this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want us to kind of get an overview of where this journey is going to take us. If you're new to us, you need to know that we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel means good news. It's the good news according to Matthew, if you read the heading of your Bible. That means that Matthew, who was one of the disciples, followed Jesus around for three years. Then he sat down and he wrote an account of what he saw. And that's what we're studying. It was written to the Jews. Uh, It emphasizes the kingliness of the Lord Jesus and his sovereign authority over the world. You need to know that uh, this journey is going to take a while. We are entering Matthew 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. These three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, encompass some teaching of our Lord Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you are very familiar with that, others are not. As we go on this journey, um, it's going to take a while. In fact, as we stop and rest a while at Easter and a Memorial Day weekend, pick up our journey again through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's going to be at least July or August before we find our way back home from this journey and move on. Some people think, well, maybe I don't want to go on this journey. Let me challenge you. You need this journey. I need this journey. Our church needs this journey. In case you're wondering what kind of people need to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount, let me suggest that if you are a brand new Christian, that is that you just figured out Jesus, and you just figured out that he substituted in in your place on the cross and paid a penalty that you couldn't pay for yourself, and that by God's grace, through his love, by faith, you've accepted as complete what Jesus did for you. By faith, you've done that, and you've accepted his free gift of salvation. And you're now like wild-eyed and wide-eyed, not wild-eyed. You used to be wild-eyed, now you're wide-eyed, and you're, you're just brand new to the Christian faith. You need to go on this journey because you're going to receive instruction right from our Lord's own mouth. On the other hand, maybe you're an old, crusty, cranky Christian, and you've been around forever, and you know everything there is to know about Jesus. I want to challenge you that this is just the journey for you. A refresher course from Jesus himself as he taught the crowds and his disciples in detail what it means to live after his own heart and in his kingdom. It's possible that someone here is very disappointed and disillusioned with Christianity. You've been giving it a try. You've been trying to make it work. 
but it hasn't lived up to its billing. You're just not experiencing Christ the way you want to. This journey is for you. You're going to be challenged by the words of Christ in this Sermon on the Mount, perhaps in a way that you absolutely need right now. It's also possible that others of you have lived very successfully for Christ, and you know a lot about living for Christ, and you even know a lot about your Bible, but you, in a way like Rod was talking earlier, you've what we called, it's an old-fashioned revival word, you've backslidden. You've slidden right back into what you used to be. Christ came along and pulled you out of the miry pit, and he saved your soul, and you know you're saved, but now you're back tampering with the old things, and you're back living in a way that a Christian shouldn't live. I want to tell you, Jesus is going to get in your face on this sermon, in this sermon. You need this journey. It's possible that someone else is uh, put together, button-down collar tight, card-carrying, country club Christian. You have done exactly the minimums. I know what I need to get into heaven. I've done the minimums, and that's it. Got my card, ticket into heaven. I prayed and received Jesus into my heart. It's right here on this card. And God will let me into his heaven, so get out of my way, because I am driven by many things in this world that are very important to me. And you're living for this world. You just hope at the end you can whip out your card and slip into heaven. This journey is for you. You're going to find, as our Lord teaches his disciples in the crowds, that that is not Christianity. It's possible you're a little bit like your pastor right now. As I examine my own heart and as I test my own spirit against this sermon, I find that I'm in a kind of a mode, maybe some of you can relate to this. You might categorize it as the, the angry Christian. I'm pretty much just sick and tired of what they're doing to my country, how high my taxes are, what they're doing to unborn babies, what they're doing to the sanctity of marriage, and I'm pretty well ready to just get a ball bat and start going at it. Wait a minute. It's time to go on a journey with Jesus. Because that's not Christianity either. We don't need a bunch of old, angry preacher Christians around. And so Jesus is going to challenge us. What I really like about this message, we see right away in the setting. I want us to do three things. I want us to take a quick look at it, at the setting. Take a look at the setting. That would be an observation. I want us to stop here for a minute, and I want us to listen. And that would be appreciation for this message. We're going to wrap up in our final few minutes, and we're going to learn. That would be some application of this message. The setting is outdoors. Notice in Matthew chapter 5 where it begins, we're coming off some information in the end of chapter 4 where Jesus has been doing miracles. He's, his fame is spreading. He has recruited some of his disciples. The crowds are following around him around because he's been making the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. And as we read the first verse or two, it says... Seeing the crowds, Matthew 5, 1, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And for the next three chapters, in detail, we're going to get the Sermon on the Mount. So the setting is outdoors. It's on the side of an unknown mountain. It's really probably just a high hill 
that came off somewhere off the Sea of Galilee in that vicinity. No one knows exactly where this was. Today, on a tour they, in the Holy Land, they will take you there and they will suggest that this is the Mount of the Beatitudes because that's right away the section that we're going to study next week is the Beatitudes. And, and so it's named the, this possible location where Jesus, uh, traditionally it is thought, taught it's outdoors. The students, it says, was uh, the crowds that were following him around. In Luke's gospel, you don't have to turn there, but it says that, that he was healing people and that he stopped on a flat piece of ground. This is Luke chapter 6, where there's a parallel account of this. I believe it's the very same accounting. Now, remember that Luke was not an eyewitness. Luke was a, Luke was a historian. Luke was a researcher. Luke was one who did his homework, and then he reported on it. And he says that there was a flat piece of ground where Jesus stood. In Matthew here, it says he went up on the mountain and he sat down. Ha ha! The skeptic says, the Bible is unreliable. It contradicts itself. I think not. Two perspectives. Some Bible commentaries suggest that this Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus taught this crowd at this location for three full days, as long as three days his teaching might have gone on. Luke's summary of it is much shorter than the three chapters that we have in Matthew, who goes into much more detail. And certainly, at the least, this lecture or sermon or teaching went on for hours and hours, if not a couple of days. During that time, can't you see Jesus when he was seeking to get on a high point of the land outside and like the rabbis of the day would sit down to teach that he would go up on the mountain, the writer described. Matthew remembers him walking up to higher ground. And Luke, when he interviewed people, said he probably had somebody point out to him that right here is where Jesus taught his great sermon on the mount. And Luke remembers that being a nice little flat spot. Doesn't it make sense that after hours of teaching that Jesus would have stood and taught and that he would sit down and teach and he would stand and teach and he would sit down and teach as this sermon went on? Not a contradiction at all, just additional detail. And so the sermon directly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus is given to us. And I really like that. He's going to emphasize kingdom living. He's going to talk about how this is how it is when you follow me. There is no reason in the passage to believe that this is for any other time frame specifically than the folks who heard it and to apply to us. There's nothing in the passage that says this is for a a thousand year millennial reign when Jesus comes and sits on David's throne, which is part of... The prophecy of the Bible. Jesus is really going to do that. He's going to literally rule and reign over this earth in a reordered kingdom. And he's going to have perfect justice. And it's going to last for about a thousand years. And some people say, well, that's what Jesus was talking about. It's not for today. It doesn't say that in the passage. You also are going to find it interesting as we study this passage together that the disciples and the apostles, as they wrote further in the New Testament and other writers of the New Testament, are going to repeat every single part of the Sermon on the Mount in the pastoral epistles and the general epistles. For example, at least 18 times, James is going to reference points out of the Sermon on the Mount. Peter, in 1 Peter, is going to at least five times make points of reference that are taught right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Furthermore, if you're in the camp that believes that the Sermon on the Mount is for a future kingdom of God's people, this was made most famous by C.I. Schofield in his old Schofield Bible notes. 
that the primary understanding of this passage would be for the millennial kingdom sometime future, you need to recognize that um, there's parts of the sermon that don't make sense for what the millennium is going to be. There's going to be persecution for righteousness sake mentioned in this passage during the millennium as we would understand it. There would be no persecution of the righteous. Jesus Christ himself is going to rule and reign with a perfect justice. We are going to reign with Christ during that time. And so I believe fully that this passage of scripture, though directly taught to the Jews there as Matthew was written to the Jews... Though an emphasis is on kingdom living, and we'll talk more about that as we go through the passage, you'll notice, for example, right away, blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is that? This domain where God rules and Jesus is king, and the people who do his will live inside that kingdom. It's a spiritual reality, for one. Ultimately, there will be, prophesied in the Old Testament, a literal kingdom as well. I don't think we're to hold to this passage as a list of commands. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in a, in a bit. But it's a constitution for living according to Christ as king of our lives. Well, that's a brief observation of the passage. A quick look. How about we take a quick listen? Kevin and Carrie, come right now. Let's take our Bibles. Let's pay attention. And let's read through this sermon in its entirety right now. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you for the, uh, and take, the tar- take your tar- turn- tunic, <laughs> sorry, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow money from you. Borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, What you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Every one of them who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not one not as their scribes. Thank you so much, Kevin and Carrie. There you have it. So we have, yeah, you can acknowledge that. So we've taken a quick look at the setting and at the students, these disciples gathered. I take it to be his 12, as well as the crowds who are called his disciples in a more general way. We've had a listen And we can appreciate the text that we have before us. Let's wrap up by just talking briefly about some things that we're going to learn. How is this passage going to apply to our lives? What are some things that we can expect on our journey to bump us? First of all, I want you to see, number one, that as we study the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find that it is the way of blessing in the Christian life. It is the way of blessing. We're going to see that right away next week. That's what beatitude means. It means blessing. But I'm warning you, the blessing isn't how you think. We live in a time of anticipated prosperity and that God is going to pour out riches upon me. Making the headlines are pastors in our country right now who are building $10 billion homes. When we start hearing what Jesus has to say, he's blessed are the humble, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. What do you mean meek? I want to be strong. But it's the way of blessing. We're going to realize very quickly that as we recognize this as the gateway of blessing for the Christian, that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The second thing that I want you to see from this passage is that it's going to focus, number two, on the internal, that is the spiritual core of my life. The Sermon on the Mount is going to focus on the internal, not the externals. Jesus is going to be much more concerned, and this is why it cuts so deeply. It's going, he's going to be much more concerned about my attitude versus the act and behavior. Let your eyes fall, for example, to verse 21 of chapter 5. You have heard it said of those of old that you shall not murder 
And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. All right, I have no problem with that. I've never done murder. I would never do murder. Only those Gentiles would do murder, murder, right? But I say to every one of you who, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wait a minute. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, might be subject, will be subject and liable to the fire of hell. You have heard it said of old, verse 27, you shall not commit adultery. But then I say to you, Jesus says, he looks at the crowd, he looks at us, and he says, what I say to you, he who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery where? In his heart. I'm telling you, part of the impact of this passage, part of the the profound power of the text, as Jesus teaches, is that he bores down into our hearts. What's really going on on the inside? You can expect to have to clean out some closets during this sermon series. Not only is it the gateway of blessing, it's going to focus on the internal, not the external. But number three, I want you to see with a little bit of warning that as we study this passage, number three, the flesh will rebel. Jesus' teaching is contrary to everything that is of our base human nature. And you're telling me that if some guy comes up and slaps me on the face, that I am to turn the other cheek if I'm a Jesus follower? Not me. I'll tell you what I'll do to him. That's the flesh. You see, some of us are going to find out as we study this passage that maybe we haven't even been living the Christian life after all. And that the very instruction of our Lord Jesus is something upon which the apostles build and the epistles are written. And we haven't even been living it out. We've been just living out some kind of a cleaned up American way. You're going to tell me that you take me to court, sue me for my coat, that I'm going to stand there and then take off my shirt and give you my shirt? That's backwards. That goes against the grain. That goes against everything. And how does that fit in then with my manliness? And how does that fit in with my personal rights? And how does it fit in? And how does this work out in everyday living? It's going to be part of the journey. You're going to recognize that Jesus is calling us to live as citizens of another nation. That he's got a constitution here that is for a a city whose builder and maker is God. And that we're outside of this world. And though we live in it, we're not of it. That one of the reasons that the church is so powerless is that Christians don't live the way Christ taught us to live. I'm not sure I'm going to like all the part of this message. Fourth, I want you to see that, as I've already referenced, it will force you to examine yourself in light of what God thinks, not what you think or what the world thinks. This sermon is going to force you to have a perspective that is of God. You want to know what it is to be a success? Then you have to seek. You have to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness if you're going to be a success. Not treasure up on earth. Oh, but I love to worry about my food and my clothing. We live in a world of externals, don't we? A world that emphasizes everything on the outside. Jesus is going to focus what's on the inside and you're going to have to learn to think the way God thinks, not the way you think. 
Lonzo Puller stopped by my house the other day, had a cup of coffee at our island, and one of Janet's uh, country living or, or southern living magazines was on the island there, and on the front cover it featured front doors. And the caption was something like, your front door can be the envy of the neighborhood. And Lonnie started to laugh and he said, hey PV, ooh, you got the best front door in the neighborhood. Whoa. But that's us, isn't it? How many of us spend more time on our front door than we do what's going on in our hearts? And we're so given to the externals. We're so given to the trappings of life. Jesus is going to cut to the core. You've got to think like I think. You've got to value the things I value. The world is pressing you into its mold and you don't fit. You're odd. You're weird. You're a moron for Jesus. You sure you want to come along on this journey? I want us to conclude by just letting our eyes fall on chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So on this journey, we're going to find that this passage is indeed the formula for blessing. It's going to focus on the internal, not the external. Our flesh is going to rebel against this teaching. I'm warning you. And it is going to force us to think in ways that we're not comfortable thinking. And we're going to have to think the way God thinks, not the way the world around us thinks. But I also want you to see in conclusion that there is serious consequence to not listening and doing what Jesus says. The very end of the passage, when he's done with the message, his conclusion is, and so everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. You see, there's the kicker. We're good at hearing words. We're good at affirming words. I don't know how good we are at implementing change in our lives conforming to the image of Christ and living out His true claims upon our lives. We will do our very best to let the Scripture speak to us and to illustrate these realities. But Jesus says to this audience, there He is and it's a vast crowd. Now I'm telling you, I've been teaching you for hours, maybe for days. You've been sitting here listening. Now I'm telling you, you have better go and do. And if you're a wise man, you will go and do these words. And you will be like what? Like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You see, this passage will will build your character house, your spiritual world, your Christian life on the rock. That's where we want to be, isn't it? It'll stabilize us. It'll revive us. It'll encourage us. It'll strengthen us. And let the wind blow. Let the rain fall. Let the floods come. Because we're going to stand. Amen? Look at that. Guy found a rock and built his house on the rock. Everybody else's house is gone. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. I worry that our church is filled with a lot of hollow Christians, that your pastor's been hollowing out some that we could implode and that we could fall when the pressures come and the rains and the winds of adversity blow and they are coming. 
in a way that we've never seen before in our country. This Christian America. I have news for you. It is post-Christian America. And the world is longing to see some little Christs. They won't get it. They might persecute them. But God will do a work like never before. One other final challenge comes from the last part of chapter 5 and verse 48 as Jesus looks at his audience and he says, Therefore, you have to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So to relieve a little bit of stress about the, the expectation of Jesus upon his followers, you need to understand that as he looks at them, he calls them to be perfect, just like their heavenly Father. Remember Peter said that. Said the same thing. It's an Old Testament quote. So, one of the things we're going to have to realize early on is that our power is going to have to come from the living Christ. It's going to have to be a new revival of resurrection power in our congregation, a new rebuttal of sin, a new focusing on Jesus, maybe for some of us like never before, or you will never live up to this calling. Are you ready for the journey? I hope so.